Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, is your mobile network one of the many increasing their prices by 11%? If so, what can you do about it? We'll hear how Dublin Simon Community is using AI to tell the stories of those who've experienced homelessness. And Tom Dunn will join me to talk about Disney's obsession with musicians. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. But first, are you one of the people who've received notice of an upcoming price hike from your mobile phone provider? Last week, one of my colleagues received a text saying his bill was going up 11%. His question to me was, what the hell? which I think is extremely valid. And uh, joining me now to address this and hopefully give us some advice as to what can be done is Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times. Uh, Kira, let's start at that point. Uh, what's going on? So this is something that's basically been flagged by Vodafone since I think around July 2021. And what they said was they were going to implement an annual price increase. Now, what that price increase will be would obviously vary from, from year to year because they're using a mixture of the inflation rate plus a 3% hike uh, every year to take account of investment in their network. So the the eight point, the basically this eleven percent is eight point two percent to account for the inflation rate that was recorded in December twenty twenty two, plus the three percent to allow the company to continue investing in network and services. Because look, you know, I mean, with the best will in the world. Uh, this is not a cheap business to be in. They're upgrading their networks, and they're basically saying now we're going to have to add three percent onto your bills to do this. So. It's basically the increases are going to be implied. It was supposed to be applied from April, but as you said, people have have kind of been seeing this increase hit their bill recently, and it basically means about an average of five euro per month to mobile bill. So it's not an insignificant mm. increase. So if you're to take that over the, the course year, that's an extra sixty euro on your bill on top of what you're already paying. And for fixed line customers, they're paying about an extra seven euro a month. Now, some people will fall outside of the scope of this increase, and there is ways around it. So what they're saying is, is if you signed up to a contract, so say you're in the middle of a, of a two-year contract, uh, you're slap bang in the middle of it, you're paying this increase now for the next year. But at the end of that contract, if you sign up with Vodafone again, you'll go back to your original price. So the the the, the increase will go away. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, if you were on a SIM-only plan, um, so the the thirty day kind of month to month because it's a it's a rolling contract as such so you're effectively renewing your contract every month. I've been told that that the price increase does not apply to that. So there's one way around it, you know, to to basically to move to a sim only plan to to have your phone. And I think this is something I, you probably agree with me on in that you know it's it's better to actually have your phone and take it with you instead of taking a new phone from the network yeah. as your so called free upgrade, which is never free because you're paying for it with increased charges is just spread out over the course of your two-year contract. And you're effectively then you're locked into a contract with with your network operator. And you can't just say, okay, right, you're up in my price, I'm going somewhere else. Yeah, there's a big part of this, though, that doesn't make, I suppose, business sense to me. And I don't know if I'm missing a trick, but there's great value to be found on those 30-day rolling contracts you mentioned or the digital mobile networks, which we'll talk about in just a second. But from a network point of view, if I'm a bill pay customer and I'm paying 60 quid a month and I'm locked in for two years or 18 months or whatever it is, surely 
I'm of more value than the person who's paying 20 quid a month for a rolling contract. And yet it feels that I, the person who's paying more, am being penalised. Um, well, obviously, I haven't sat in on the, the business meetings with Vodafone to, to figure out their, uh, their their rationale behind this. But what I will say is if, if you're on a 30 day rolling contract, you know, you can up and go anywhere, mm. you know, you know, at the at 30 days notice, you can take your toys and off you go to your new playground, you know. So in, in that respect, you know, I suppose that the, applying a price increase on those plans probably would mean that people would leave. But if you are locked into a contract, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of inertia, I think, around people moving and maybe less so these days because people are more tuned into the cost of of living. But as I said, if you re-sign up with with Vodafone, that costing that price increase goes away. So it's you're you're basically reset back to, to the original price plan. So instead of, I suppose, increasing all the price plans across the board, what they've done is is kind of just apply it to to contracts that are already there. And then it kind of resets itself. Now, there's always cheaper phone plans out there. And there always has been cheaper phone plans out there than what Vodafone offers. Like this is like the, the fact that you can get, you know, an all you can eat kind of data plan and, and mobile plan all singing, all dancing for, you know, 15 euro a month is not is not new as such. Um, the reason why a lot of people would stay with Vodafone, I suppose, is because the network suits them. So, you know, there are certain areas like I, my parents have a house in Wexford. Um, and there are certain networks that will work better because they're they're down a valley. So, you know, it, it makes mobile coverage very difficult. Um, so, you know, some people might find that they have great Vodafone coverage in their house um, and terrible coverage on other networks. Mm. So the only way, I suppose, around that with them would be to use an MVNO that uses Vodafone's network because you'd still have the same coverage. So, I mean, like, as I said, you know, there is a bit of inertia there. People can often find a network that they like and stick with it. Uh, and it's just the effort of having to, you know, go to, to have to, to to port your number over and, you know, sign up with a new network when they know they can get this particular deal with Photophone and that suits them. And maybe, you know, they want to keep getting the phone every every two years or every new contract. So, you know, some of the uh, the, the trade-in plans would suit them or, you know, the, the, the plans where you can kind of effectively get a, a new phone for... I suppose cheaper than it looks cheaper than if you were buying it outright um yeah. and that's I suppose like that's what that's what you're I suppose that's what you're dealing with here and there will be people who will leave there will always be people who will leave but you know they will also pick up other customers and the other the other category of customer that this price increase doesn't apply to is business corporate plans so you know it's it applies to about 50 percent of its mobile customers at the moment and obviously that will change over time as people, you know, take out a contract and, you know, some people will come off that price hike and other people will fall into it because they'll be mid-contract when the next increase is applied. So next year, the increase could be 7%. Do you know, if it depends on what the um, what the, the, the inflation rate is kind of applied in January and, and what that inflation rate is. I mean, if inflation goes down, obviously, then there'll be less of a price hike, but there will be a price hike every year. This is what they've made clear. And they are not the only ones doing it. This is something that I think three also do a, an annual four and a half percent price increase. Um, so people who entered a new contract, they'll be subject to this annual, what they would call price adjustment. So basically they're going to hike your, 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 your contract cost by four and a half percent uh, on your monthly charge um, every April. So same was kind of same time frame as Vodafone. Now they brought that in November 2021. 
Um, so it only applies if you're an existing customer, it'll only apply when you enter a new contract. So it's kind of a slightly different way of applying things from mm. three's point of view. But like eventually you're going to get caught, you know, unless you just decide to keep paying your existing contract price um, once you're officially out of contract. But again, if you've taken a phone with them, you're already overpaying. So, you know, that's if it, once you're out of contract, you're already overpaying because you're still effectively paying for that phone on top of your monthly call charges. Let's talk about getting savvy uh, for a sec. We mentioned the digital mobile networks. Firstly, they're not for everyone. So let's just get that caveat out of the way. But between the digital mobile networks and then some of the refurbished phone sellers we spoke about before, you don't have to spend a huge chunk of cash to have a good mobile phone with a generous monthly allowance. No, you don't. And like for for I suppose for the interests of of transparency here, I will say I I am a GoMo customer and I'm one of the originals and I am hanging on to that nine ninety nine a month plan with like they can pry from my cold dead hands at this point. You know I am not signing up for five G to get you know to, to basically costing myself six quid a month. It sounds probably sounds very stingy, but like I I have no use for five G at the moment. I'm in Wi Fi coverage most of the time, and you know the extra if you add that up over the course of a year. You know, you're looking at an extra 72 euro, I suppose. Well, 60 euro for, uh, sorry, it's 10 euro really, and then it's 15 euro. So an extra 60 euro that, to be honest, I could find better use for. Mm. Um, And that's, I mean, like, but the thing is, though, like 15 euro, 15 euro a month is still very cheap for, uh, you know, all your data, all your um all your 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 calls, all your texts to Irish numbers. Obviously, if you go outside of that, then, you know, you're going to get charged for it. But you know, like Virgin Media do something similar. I think their their plan, if you're a Virgin Media customer, is you know it's it's twenty euro I think now, and um, Air do something similar for for customers now. Again, you have to be an Air customer, but they you know they were giving you a for life price now at the time when I I I know a few people who signed up to it was twenty five euro, and even that was a fairly good mm. deal. Now obviously the the Air one is not a, a digital network. But, you know, if you're in a certain age group, you know, like there's 48, there's there's all these digital uh, networks out there. And yes, if you can handle the fact that you might not be able to talk to a person, you might have to go through web chat if you have a problem. Uh, that you can't walk into a store like you can with Vodafone or Air or, or 3 if you have a problem and get a real person in front of you uh, to, to, to deal with your issues. Um, if you don't mind the fact that, you know, you might not bring a phone with you. Um, so in the case of GOMO, they don't offer phones. Um, some of the others do. I think 48 has a, a tie in with one of the refurbished companies um, and they will offer refurb phones to customers as well. So you kind of save in doubly there. But yeah, you I mean, you can easily shave like, I mean, it depends on, on which one you go for, but like you can shave 30 euro a month off your phone bill. And again, that is not an insignificant sum when it's taken over the course of a year. Yeah, that's it. It requires a bit of legwork and a bit of compromise maybe on the part of the consumer. But I do think if you do your homework and you go in eyes wide open, you can save a huge amount. Like when I was talking to you the last time, I think it was, you know, the iPhone 14 had just come out. We were both saying that we really like it, but it's not massively different from the 13, which is not massively different from the 12. So if you go to a refurbished site, get an iPhone 12 for around 300 quid, and then pay between a tenner and 15 quid a month for your phone bill, you're kind of set up for a long time at pretty good value. You are. But one thing that people need to be aware of when they're buying refurbished phones in particular is to make sure that they're still covered by um, security updates for a significant amount of time. Now, Apple are quite good in that, you know, there's 
people are, are kind of giving up their their iPhone eights at this point. Mm. Um, you know, so so you're looking at like more than five years of support. Uh, most of the Android companies will now give you at least five years of security updates guaranteed. That's the key thing, more so than not, not to be confused with operating system updates. I mean, you can live without the latest version of Android, but if your phone is out of security updates, you're wide open to you know the next potential threat and that would be particularly given what we do on our phones think of the amount of stuff that you do on your phone every day you know i do my banking you know the gps on my phone will will pretty much tell you where i live um all my contacts are there you know you see the amount of the whatsapp scams that are going around at the moment so if somebody has access to your phone they have access to your whole life and also some of the banking apps will not run if the security patches aren't up to date. You know, they will eventually say, look, you know, you need a new up, you need a new phone to run this particular system because obviously banks are, are, are you know, they're the ones that should be all about security. But the security updates is something you have to do your research on. Yeah, that is such a good tip. And it is something that gets overlooked. So just do your homework be savvy about it but there's definitely good value to be had if you want a specific recommendation you can email techtalk at newstalk.com but it's also worth checking out the guys on bonkers.ie they do great work in terms of price comparison Uh, and you can also go to comreg.ie to find out what mobile networks cover your area so there's plenty of advice out there Uh, but Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times thank you so much for your time and guiding us through that thank you very much now, when we come back here on Newstalk, Tom Dunn joins me to look at Disney's take on the world of music. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've opened any of the streaming services in the last wee while, chances are you've come across a music documentary that's different to every other music documentary because it goes behind the scenes with the artist. Taylor Swift has had one. We're getting one from Lewis Capaldi. We're getting one from Ed Sheeran. All of these young artists are getting in-depth documentaries. But on Paddy's Day, uh, Disney Plus launched their documentary with, are you ready for this now? David Letterman and Bono and The Edge. And it is a different take, I suppose, on those deeply emotional, tell me the pain that you've gone through to bring us that song, shake it off or whatever it is. It is beautiful. And I am delighted to have our own Tom Dunn with us now to talk about it because, Tom, there's an awful lot going on in the U2 sphere. Not only do we have a new album, not only are we getting a series of gigs in Las Vegas, we're also getting this different take on the world of you two through the eyes of David Letterman. Um, talk me through the, the initial premise. Um, well, it's David Letterman comes to Dublin and it's very much Dave taking a look around Dublin and going to places like Caveston's and buying cheese and going into McDade's and, and ordering lunch and stuff like that. And all these kind of famous landmark places and, and famous pubs. Though he doesn't drink, just pop, popping his head in. And then at the centre of it all, he hooks up with his two kind of mates because they have a long relationship of David Letterman interviewing you two down the years. So he's hooking up with Edge and Bono and just Edge and Bono. And it's very clear it's not the other two lads. This is kind of a post-lockdown exercise. Uh, when uh, I think Adam was off making a documentary and Larry is injured, mm-hmm. uh, as we know at the moment. So it's just the two lads. And um, there's little bits of interview with them. 
um, well, many bits. And then there's a performance in the Ambassador Cinema in the round to an invited audience. And the invited audience itself is a breath of fresh air because I watched this with a group of hacks, you know, and mm-hmm. we're all looking at each other and saying, were you invited to this? And we're looking at each other saying, if one of us is invited to this, we'll have to kill them because um, <laughs> it's just not on. <laughs> but, but we were delighted to find that none of us had been invited to it, which was good. I felt good about that. Yeah. Um, so that's in the round and they're kind of school children and, and they're just people who are really delighted to be there. They're not you know, the cynical people, not saying hacks are cynical, but um, they really appreciate where they are. And then, interestingly, there's a bit of a performance in a pub. Now, I think it's Hogan's. I don't really know my pubs very well, but it looks like Hogan's to me. Mm-hmm. And that's a situation you'd never see you two. And, you know, in the round, not quite singing rebel songs, but very close to singing rebel songs and surrounded by uh, Glenn Hansard and Colin McNumra. And and people like that, you know, so um, I found it really, really brilliant. I don't know what I was expecting, but I found David Letterman's presence in it. That was the key to everything because he's really a fantastic presence. He's 75. He has this kind of wise old man vibe, big white beard these days, looks a bit like Father Christmas. Um, still a wonderful curiosity about him. A kind of a sense of serendipity with him that he he loves being the age he is. He loves the life he's lived. He loves getting to come to Dublin. He loves getting to see you too. Loves getting to hear their music. And he's still razor sharp yeah. in interviews. I mean, as somebody who's, who's interviewed lots of people, as of you, you can't help but watch somebody when they're being quiet, when they're eliciting more out of someone they're interviewing, and and when they just ask a really simple like a five word question mm-hmm. that just sets the whole thing off in a new direction. He has that gift where he just sits back, lets them speak and then just weighs in every now and again. And when he does it so timely and beautiful. So you can't kind of take your eyes off him to tell the truth. And then on top of that, you have this stuff of you too. Now, I think a lot of people probably are, but, you know, worn out by you too. That's only because we live in Ireland. We don't give them the respect they deserve. I know that sounds stupid, but if it was Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, mm-hmm be saying you know we'd be very open to say they're one of the best songwriting partnerships of all time so are edge and bono without yeah. question and i think there are certain things about them that are very uh charming they're 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 very down to earth despite everything very down to earth still both very driven particularly bono very driven wanting to do more and and you know they haven't let the whole thing go to their heads they're they're funny together they appreciate each other's company um, they're, they're a joy to watch yeah and I love the the combination of all of these elements to me and that's why I was excited to talk to you because I am a huge U2 fan and sometimes you see headlines and you can roll your eyes or whatever but I think if you step back a little bit you have to acknowledge that they are incredible and what they've done for Ireland in terms of keeping us on the map is amazing but I think I I don't know that I'd have enjoyed this doc as much if it wasn't for the involvement of David Letterman because as an interviewer, he is incredible. And I think one thing that we have to thank the streaming services for is giving this long-form format to somebody like David Letterman who takes it, runs with it, and then gets to highlight stuff that we didn't know. Um you're obviously an encyclopedia when it comes to all things music, but did you learn things that you didn't already know about you two? Yeah, I, I did. I, I found that particularly Letterman's questions, he asks the questions 
kind of a non-music person would ask, like just where do songs go? Which bits come first? How do you guys work together? Um, I love all that. I love all that. Um, there's moments where they write a song for him. They, they, they you know, they kind of explain, uh, The Edge is explaining that uh, songs come to him in the night. And, and anybody who writes songs will tell you the same story. And if you want to be involved in writing songs, you have to wake up and write them down when they happen. And it's mm-hmm. a real pain in the neck, you know. So I remember when I was writing songs, something happens. That was a regular occurrence. It was just a, and it was slightly embarrassing. You felt like you were trying to draw attention to yourself, getting up in the night and recording something, singing something. Um, so he's telling the same stories, but he has these great apps on his phone, right? So when Edge wakes up in the night and records something, it doesn't sound like something you and I would record. It sounds like an orchestra. Um, oh, wow. It's obviously there are all these things he's able to bring in straight away. So he plays this bit of music that came to him during the night. He plays that to David Letterman. And, and then Bono starts working around 40 Foot Man as a lyric. You know? and <laughs> you're, they're writing a song in front of your eyes. It's that old chestnut. It's Paul McCartney in, in that uh, Let, it, get Let it Be. Get Back, yeah. Where he starts writing Get Back in Front of Your Eyes. It's that, yeah. you know. And I think it's a great song. I think it turns out really well. So there's little stuff like that and how they got together. And I just, it's just really nice. It's just there's a freshness to it. I know it's probably a story we've heard, but he... He brings a freshness to it in the way he approaches it. There are moments, though, there are little magic moments. There's one moment where the edge just starts playing guitar, but proper guitar in his studio with all his effects and um, starts playing it to David Letterman. And it's it's the U2 orchestra. It's all those amazing sounds from With or Without You or Pride, those really yeah. chimey, stunning guitar parts that the edge is just so brilliant at. And David Letterman is just looking at him in disbelief. <laughs> And he says, you know, if God takes me now, I will have no complaints. <laughs> you know, this is just such a wonderful thing to be up there. I always say it's someone's, uh, they take out their talent, yeah. the reason you know of them in the first place. It is often very, you have to laugh. It's so good when you hear it. So it's, it's a bit like that. And then Bono, I, I just, I continue to just marvel at his voice. It just seems to be getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I, I was lucky enough to be at the one man play. And as he was singing there, there were moments where I just I was startled by the strength and um, the range of his voice. Mm. So that's on that's on uh, that's there again. And the gig is in the round and it's it's really interplay between him and Edge. There are other musicians. Glenn Hansard is there. Jack Knife Lee is there, the producer. that They're working with a lot of late. And um, there are moments in the catch of the and Bono goes for notes. And it's just there was rounds of applause in the cinema. I saw it in the Savoy. Mm. And we were just clapping rounds of applause at times. But isn't it amazing for a band that's been around for as long as you two, for that level of wow moment to still exist? Because, you know, there, there definitely is, particularly when it comes to Irish people and you two, there's an element of, I know this story. Or, you know, we've all sang along to Pride or whatever it is. But I think the level of interest is still there. And the level of intrigue too. Like the Beatles documentary, when that came out, my jaw was wide open because there's something magical about getting insights into the brains of these people who've been around for such a long time and whose songs are part of our, not even culture identity, but identity. There is a magic to it. There is an absolute magic to that. And I think you are wondering where did it come from and how did it get so good? Even as he was asking questions about the early days, um, I remember, I I know Dick Evans, the Edge's Mm -hmm. brother, 
quite well. And and I, I had a dinner party once. I said, you know what? You were there at the beginning. He was in a band called The Virgin Prunes. And I was saying, like, well, what, what was it? And he said, from the word go, it was word, world class. From the moment they started making music together, it was just world class. And that is there. And, and you hear it on the songs of Surrender. Uh, with everything stripped off, you really notice Bono's lyrics. Yeah. And the lyrics to Out of Control, um, God, they make boys, but not like this one. That's that's such a perceptive lyric for somebody mm. to write on their 18th birthday. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're just thinking they were always just a different, a cut, a different cut, a cut above the rest of us. No question about it. It took me years to write lyrics. Uh, semi-decent well, and it's funny when I, I was probably writing quite good lyrics in my late twenties to describe how I felt when I was eighteen. Which know, yeah. is in horse show jumping, there'd be a time fault there. You know, it's just you're going to be just you know, barred for that. They were on the money, straight out of the out of the, the traps. And when you see them at the peak of their powers, he's they're still only twenty six, twenty seven. It's again, it's like the Beatles, um, when they're recording a day in the life, they're they're twenty six and twenty seven as well. Which is yeah. really phenomenal. It really is. So they have that world class edge from the moment he picked up a guitar seems to be a different class of an animal completely to everybody else. Uh, and that hasn't gone away. And there's moments when he's playing guitar in the background and you're just looking at it and going, what he's doing is so fantastic, so marvellous. Who wouldn't want to sing over it? Uh, so yeah, where, where it comes from is a big thing. To see it in front of you is brilliant. And it's brilliantly filmed. And there's great wit about it. Uh, mm. And I found the whole thing very uplifting. I don't want to give away the ending because there is an ending to it. There is there is a lovely thing happens at the end. And we were all cheering in the cinema when Aww. that happened. Yeah, I, I'm telling you. It was, for a thing, it was it was released on, on March 17th for St. Patrick's Day. And for a lovely little thing to find and watch, you couldn't top it. You really you couldn't beat it. It's a wonderful piece of work. I'm also excited to see uh, what they do with their Las Vegas show because I listen to a podcast called Smartless with Jason Bateman, Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. It comes out every Monday. It's my highlight of my week, which is pathetic, but it's true. And Bono was on with them around the time of his book and he was kind of teasing the Las Vegas show and he was saying that what they're going to do in Vegas couldn't possibly be done anywhere else. And I was at their last tour, which I think was Innocence and Experience, and holy moly, like what they did with the lights, with the screens, with the satellite stages, it was just remarkable. So for, from a tech fan point of view and from a U2 fan point of view, I'm kind of waiting with bated breath to see what they managed to pull off. Do you think the, the Vegas res, uh, residency is a good idea for them? I do. I, I think when the Vegas residency is put to you and you think about the enormous effort and creativity that you would put into designing lighting shows and and you can do so many different things now, lights and sound and Dolby Atmos maybe mm-hmm. might be, probably will be part of how you hear this gig. Um, there are so many different levels on which you can approach this and make it into an incredible show. To do that and then break the whole thing down and put it in the truck and drive for 500 miles to the next venue suddenly seems like a ridiculous thing to do. It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, especially in light of all the green energy and everything else mm-hmm. going on. It seems like a crazy thing to do. So to, to have the audience come to you suddenly makes an awful lot of sense. Um, so that, yeah, that is, and they've always been a band. They They've driven the parameters in everything they've ever done. When we used to record albums, when you're in the studio, if you're going to mix it, you'd put on U2's most recent album. And that was what albums sounded like. That was as good as an album could sound like at that time. It was like suddenly you'd hear levels of bottom end that had never been on records before. 
And you're wondering, how can I get that? And they took the same approach to their stage shows. The Europa tour in particular was like nothing else anybody's ever seen. So that creativity is still there. But it, there's a big thing that's been going through my head since the one man show and the album and, and this as well. And it's, it's coming from Bono. I just pick up from Bono a, a certain frustration in him that, that sa- says to me that he's really not finished with where you two are going. Mm-hmm. He's not happy to have two of the greatest albums of all time. And then loads of very other, very good albums. He wants more. There's some, he wants to do something that completely astounds people. I really feel that in him. And that may involve dragging the rest of the band with them. I, I, I get a bit of energy from the times that you think I might need to wake these guys up a bit and he'll do it because he's, just, you know, he's, He's he's got the energy of of wild dogs. He, he, still, the one man show was just phenomenal. So I think there's there's there are more turns in this road yet. And God, we get to see them in Vegas together. Won't that be lovely, Jess? Yeah, I'm already booking our flights, Tom. Me and you will be there. Uh, we'll sell merch. We'll sell drinks. We'll do anything. To, to be there because I am genuinely excited about it. Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to set the bar, I guess, for the next level of tours and artists and so on. Talking of next generation of artists, uh, I mentioned at the top there, you know, there's a whole uh, genre now of these music docs coming to streaming services. So there's one coming with Lewis Capaldi, but the one that got a bit of attention this week was uh, Ed Sheeran and I want to get your take on you know I I don't want to sound like a begrudger but because of TikTok and social media and all the rest are we celebrating some of these music artists too early in their career like are, are we giving everybody these complex backstories to make it more attractive and are we get, putting them up on the same pedestal as the likes of you two, the Beatles and all the rest too early? Uh, I don't really know. Um, I, I find it very hard to, to stay focused um, in conversations regarding Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do my best. He was in Game of Thrones, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. And in that song, yeah, in that band, the, the film yesterday, I thought he was very funny in that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I hear these things about him that he can hold a crowd in the palm of his hand. And um, a band man, remember him, the, the very funny guy? He, he toured with Ed Sheeran before either of them were famous. And he was saying, even then, Ed Sheeran could hold a crowd in the palm of his hand. So I'd be intrigued by all that. There won't be a, story, a backstory to the level of U2's backstory. Um, he's simply too young. But mm. who knows? Maybe there are twists, uh, hidden depths. Who knows? The other guy, <laughs> I know even less of it. Um, all I can say is that I saw Sam Smith's Fisher Them interview. And and for me, that was a moment when an entire musical movement just jumped the shark completely. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I lost all patience with certain arguments. And that's that. Got, done now. Gone. Over. So who knows? Uh, but they have the audience, I suppose, and and millions of people will tune in. So who's going to argue with that? Yeah, not I anyway, that's for sure. Uh, OK, so let's leave those other ones. But there's a solid uh, recommendation to watch the U2 doc that is available now on Disney+. Plus. Their album is just gorgeous and it's a retake on the majority of their famous songs. And it is just stunning to listen to so I, I'd recommend that to again listening to it you've hit the nail on the head there and again if you have a good stereo system or whatever you know it's one that really lends itself to listening on a good system it, it's been beautifully recorded the sounds are gorgeous 
that is the YouTube fan club coming to a close for today. I have no bad words to say. I, I really think they're they're a great band, and, and we're very lucky having them. And they they're like a band everyone should aspire to be like. They've never rested on their laurels. Always trying to drive things forward. They're always seeing what they could do next. There's a real hunger about them. They haven't gone mad. You know that they, they they're they're decent people. They don't have um skeletons in in their cupboard of any major note that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're they're a great band. Tom Dunn, thank you so much for joining us here on Tech Talk. Uh, I'll see you in Vegas. You will indeed. Yeah, I'd love to know what you think of the doc. Are you bored of these in-depth documentaries? Do you think that they're unwarranted in the case of some newer artists? Uh, you can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to hear how Dublin Simon Community is using AI to tell the stories of those impacted by homelessness. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, earlier in the show, we heard from Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times about the rising cost facing some mobile phone customers. And that's just one of many price hikes that we faced in recent times. The cost of living is going up. The pressure on renters is increasing. And there's also a myriad of other issues that are leading to an increase in the number of people reaching out to organisations such as Dublin Simon Community for help and support. The charity has been doing incredible work in this space for some time. And earlier this week, they launched a new project called Unfair City to highlight the stories of those who interact with their service. Yeah, some people are decent, some people just look at you and walk on, walk past. I've seen people being kicked and pissed on. And I only woke up when they made a thing, and that was it. That's all I remember. Dying on the beach of Brave. I knew it was on dead time. Waking up when the ambulance was there. But the guardian angel, something came out of the sky. If you believe in guardian angels, you believe in the lights, what comes down. It's like, it's not your time. That's just a snippet of Unfair City, produced by BBDO for Dublin Simon Community. And we're going to hear more about that project, which uses AI in a really clever way in just a quick second, because I'm joined by Rob Boyle, who's the creative director and head of art at BBDO, as well as Catherine Kenny, who's the CEO of Dublin Simon Community. Um, You're both very welcome to the show. Catherine, can I start with you? Just introduce us to the work that you do. Certainly. Dublin Simon um, works to end the experience of homelessness for people. we start with that by preventing homelessness. So we look to make sure that people don't enter homelessness in the first place. If people are experiencing homelessness, we look to respond as quickly as we can through our outreach team um, and provide a range of services such as supported temporary accommodation for people in an emergency accommodation situation. We also deliver treatment services, um, be it detox, step up, step down. Um, and then we also provide housing, um, which is part of the solution to homelessness. Um, and we have a range of housing solutions, be it independent housing or long-term supported accommodation for those who are unable to live independently and require additional support. And we also provide a range of support services for those who are living independently um, through support services, counselling services and aftercare services to make sure that they don't re-enter um, homelessness. Yeah, and that work is, it's incredible. And I know that it really is a lifeline for so many people. I mentioned at the top about the cost of living. Have you seen an increase in the number of people reaching out for information and support in recent times? 
fortunately we are we are we're seeing um increases in a wide range of areas certainly in terms of the prevention team they're seeing an increased number of people as you say looking for information looking for advice and we're providing that as much as we can and supporting people to avoid the experience of homelessness. We're also seeing increased numbers, as you'll have seen, in the rough sleeper count. Um, and we're seeing new um, categories or profiles of people entering homelessness, which is new to us. Um, but unfortunately, the demand for housing continues to increase um, with almost 9,000 people stuck in emergency accommodation. Um, it, it's of significant consideration for us at the moment and concern. How important is fundraising in terms of the organisation, but also, I suppose, highlighting how people can get involved and support the work that you do? Without fundraising, an organisation like Dublin Simon couldn't exist. Um, and people becoming interested and aware of the situation and looking to support us and collaborate with us to delivering solutions um, is where we're most focused. And that's something that I'm sure is quite difficult because without wanting to be flippant about it, there are so many causes out there and there are so many people in need from a whole spectrum of issues. So what's your strategy and thinking in terms of getting people aware of the issue, but also making them feel empowered that they have a role to play and that there's something they can do regardless of how much money they have in their bank or their own situation? Um, I agree completely. Homelessness is a very complex situation and there's a lot of contributing factors to people experiencing homelessness. And then the people who are experiencing homelessness have a wide range of presenting needs. Um, In terms of sharing our message and kind of getting people interested, I think, unfortunately, as we're seeing, it can happen to anybody and it does happen to quite a lot of people um, without a functioning housing market. Um, and that's of critical importance to us. Um, and it, it's necessary for people to engage in the conversation and understand the conversation. And how we do that is through our own information and kind of delivering um, information and advocating on behalf of those experiencing homelessness. And we also make sure that we're elevating the voices of those who are in and experiencing homelessness into the conversation so that it's they're heard also, and the reality of it is, um, I think when we hear about 9,000 people um, being stuck in homelessness and emergency accommodation, it's almost unfathomable what that looks like. And I think it's when we can have those individual um, stories and people are humanised and it becomes not just a number and an abstract concept that people, to some extent, are willing to accept as a part of um, the society but it becomes people and the impact of people um, and on people and um, on themselves and their families and the wider community. So for us, it's about looking for the solutions to homelessness, but also bringing in the people who are being most impacted by homelessness into the conversation and working to end it. Yeah, and I want to bring Rob in now as well, because this is where you enter the equation, if I'm right, in terms of bringing those stories to life and finding a new way to tell them. So, Rob, can you just tell me a little bit about how you guys work and go about telling some of these stories? Yes, I suppose uh, BBO Dublin has a long-standing relationship with uh, Dublin Simon in generating stories, be it through uh, film and uh, we've used animation and illustration and, uh, you know, outdoor and uh, various different media before. Um, And I suppose the challenge is always to come up with a new way uh, 
of, of telling the story of really getting across, uh, you know, these, you know, extremely sort of heart-wrenching lived stories that not only show the reality of what life on the streets is like, but also what it is that Simon uh, community and Dublin Simon are doing to alleviate that problem. Um, you know, ultimately these people's stories are of, uh, you know, overcoming personal issues and it, and it, and it's their, their redemption is on them, but ultimately uh, Dublin Simon are there as the support that they need and the catalyst to getting back to uh, a lived and normal life. Uh, so, when we were playing around with um, AI just to kind of get to the the sort of the the, the media and the technology side of it, we were uh, using the various different AI platforms that were coming out last year. Uh, and, you know, there was conversation around how the technology, you know, is it good for society? Is it bad for society? You know, could it be used to nefarious ends? Could it be, uh, you know, various different conversations happening about it so we kind of wanted to frame that for ourselves uh you know if it's a technology that's going to be happening regardless of whether people jump on board or not you know there's an element of fighting the tide how could how could we use it for good uh, and how could we use it in a way that would set an example for how the technology could be used uh, going forward in the future so one of the uh ideas that came to the fore from our team was that we could use the technology to uh, tell the story of somebody who, had, who has lived experience on the street uh, and how they managed to come through that and get over that with the help of Simon, uh, the Simon community. So, uh, but ultimately what we could do uh, would be to uh, do an interview with somebody uh, like one of the clients or advocates that uh, work on and, and volunteer on behalf of Dublin Simon community, people, somebody like Justin, uh, Canon, who has that experience uh, of living on the streets uh, and of overcoming. Yeah, the notion of using AI for a project like this is quite interesting because as we've spoken about here on Tech Talk before, you know, AI doesn't have empathy. It doesn't have the emotional intelligence or understanding. And yet this is a hugely emotive and very human topic. So how did you go about marrying AI with real life and such, I suppose, impactful stories? Yeah, um, I mean, on, on a few different levels. I mean, we ensured, uh, of course, that using AI, uh, we wanted to use it in a way that uh, we'd like to see it being used uh, going forward, um, that it's a, a tool to be collaborated with rather than, uh, you know, a replacement for a job or a function. And that's quite important uh, in the crafting of Justin's story because we had art directors and illustrators, a director and a composer, producers, editors, all pushing and pulling the technology to see how we could push the limits of its use in a way that hasn't been done previously. So, you know, it's not just about sort of using the technology and sort of setting it uh, to go on its own and, and kind of uh, create the, 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 the work for us. As you say, it takes uh, uh, that sort of level of experience and skill and craftspersonship uh, and emotional intelligence to really make the story uh, come together. And so that that story is being read and comes alive on screen in as respectful uh, and as delicate uh, a way as possible because, you know, it's an extremely powerful story that uh, Justin tells of his life of, uh, of 14 years living on the streets of Ireland and the UK. And, you know, he, he tells us of his kind of redemptive arc where Dublin Simon were able to help him to, you know, get into accommodation and, and get his life back on track and even join the High Hopes Choir. And that story requires the delicate 
handling uh, of creatives, of artists to push and pull the technology, which is ultimately a tool. You know, it's not, this is narrow AI we're talking about. It's it, it's designed to do one function and that's to generate imagery, but ultimately you need the artists and the craftspeople to uh, use the prompts and to, to know exactly how to tell this story in as emotional and as delicate a way as Justin's story deserves. Mm. And Catherine, I want to talk to you a little bit about how important it is that we hear the full picture because I'm sure very sadly that we've all seen photographs of people living on the street or we've walked by people living on the street and seen those in desperate need of help and support. But one thing that struck me about the video was that there's life after homelessness and there's a way out and there is that message of hope. Is it important from Dublin Simon's point of view to to shine that beacon of hope and show that, you know, when you support organisations like this, it's not an endless problem and there is something that can be done? I think it's critically important to get that message out. And I think, as um, Rob said, Justin says, tells his story better than anybody else ever could. And he demonstrates what can happen. I think homelessness as a concept is a very difficult thing to get your head around. And I think it impacts on many people in very many ways. I think we need to be tackling um, the housing crisis and any social issues that are contributing to homelessness. Um, But I think homelessness does end for individuals on a day-to-day basis. And people are moving out even at, at the moment. Some people are moving out of homelessness. And um, whilst the number of people entering homelessness and experiencing homelessness has increased, it's still ending for some people. And I think it's very important that we don't lose sight of that focus and that determination that can end for individuals and that we can work on it and work collaboratively to ending it ultimately um, in society. Or if the people do end up in um, situations where they don't have and stable accommodation that is only for a very short period of time and it doesn't become the traumatic experience that it can do currently mm-hmm. um, and I think being able to send the message show that it can change it does change and um, people are not without hope um, and that what we're trying to deliver is action and deliver the message that says action can make a change um, be it the person experiencing homelessness as Justin took control of his life and he led his success through it, through the experience with our support um, we can do that as a community and as a wider grouping to end homelessness Yeah, you can watch it now on unfaircity.ie or go to dubsimon.ie uh, I want to ask you briefly about how important online donations are and other new ways of donating in, in terms of the accessibility and the opportunities for individuals to donate. Has that been transformational for your organisation? It has been critical. I think we have to keep up with the times. I think um, how we're engaging with each other is changing and it's up to Dublin Simon to keep in line with those changes and look for innovative ways to engage people in the conversation and engage people in the solution of homelessness. Online is a new community. It definitely gives us opportunity to engage more people in the conversation, which I think is of critical importance. And we're hoping to keep people who've been with us all along in the conversation through these new methods of communication. 
yeah, the work that you do is incredibly important. As I said, you can watch Justin's story on unfaircity.ie or you can head directly to dubsimon.ie and donate whatever you can. Catherine and Robert, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you very much, Jess. Thank you. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.